I knew we would be something about where we are today, but not in, in the details. So you expect not, not, not the specifics. I knew that he would mess things up royally, but I didn't know in what way. So, so uh, okay. I'm a, don't get mad at me for asking this. How old are you now? How what? How old are you now? I'll be 72 next month. Doggone, you look good, man. I know, man. Not, not, a, not a wrinkle. Can you see? Look at that. Unc, you look not good. A, you look good, man. That that chocolate skin, you know, that comes through. <laughs> that that you, olive, that, that olive skin. Olive, that, you know. olive, olive skin, that's right. There you go. That's it keeps right. you looking young, man. So I'm saying, the reason I'm asking is because how many wars have you seen since you've been alive? Well, uh, well, just so in my, uh, just my, my father was at Pearl Harbor when it was bombed. Mm. Uh, my father was in Korea and had his, uh, lost his right leg in the, in the Korean war. Mm. Uh, about, I think that was in 1951. I was born in 1950. Uh, of course, uh, Vietnam, I mean, the, when Vietnam was going on, we had this, we had a, a, a draft, um, and so lots of my friends, uh, ended up you know, being drafted. My brother was, my brother was in, in the army at that time. Wow. Um, we have had minor skirmishes with, um, Grenada and a couple of other places, but, um, the big war for me was of course, Vietnam. Vietnam war. So you kind of, you've, you've been around long enough to kind of see these things kind of come to fruition and then kind of fall off and kind of the outcome of them. When, so when you knew when Biden got elected, you kind of expected that something something would. Did you expect that we would go to war or something like that? Well, just think of this: Jimmy, during Jimmy Carter's administration, you had uh, the Iranian ho- uh, hostage crisis. Right. Yeah. And as, as when Ronald Reagan was sworn in, uh, the, a plane left Iran to bring those hostages back home. <laughs> oh so, wow. So they knew, I mean, it was, it was like Reagan's being inaugurated. And I think I saw a double screen with the, with the flight leaving Iran with those hostages because they were afraid of, of Ronald Reagan. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and, and of course I think the Iraq war was a complete disaster. We had no business being over there. We've seen that Afghanistan was a disaster and we can't, we can only blame Biden on those things is because he supported both of them. Right, uh, but that was, you know those. I mean, the Iraq War was a Bush a Bush disaster. Right, uh, and you know this is you know, we need to look. I always tell people what you need to do is go up to Washington D.C. at that Vietnam Memorial, which a lot of people didn't like because it didn't glorify the war. Uh-huh. It just it's a just I think it's granite, just a wall of black granite with names and in, uh, in, 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 engraved in it. Fifty thousand of them. Right. And yet today, Vietnam is is thriving. What what did we get out of that? What did we get out of Afghanistan? I mean, twenty years in Afghanistan. Right. Those poor families whose sons and daughters and husbands and wives were were, were killed over there. You know, you have to ask yourself the question: for for what purpose? For what reason? Uh, and there are those today who want to drag us into a, another war with U- Ukraine and Russia. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are big business. Look, there are big business interests in all this. You know, eighty. We left eighty billion dollars in equipment behind in Afghanistan. Yep. And and you think, well, you know, the war was profitable, and so now we left that behind. If we get into another war, you're going to have sons and daughters involved in this war. Yep. You're going to have you're going to have hundreds of billions of dollars 
Uh, well, I think the Iraq war probably cost, cost close to a, a trillion dollars. Yeah. Uh, we as Christians need to stand up against this at the same time, uh, you know, calling both countries to account. I don't think anyone is guiltless in all this, but I don't, I mean, Russia going to, you know, bombing going into, you, you know, Ukraine and all this sort of thing was simply the, the immoral move. But uh, we just need to stay out of this war. We need to do the best we can in order to, you know, to, to get this thing to stop without sending troops over there. And I'm afraid that, you know, Biden, in order to show himself being a tough guy, may decide he's going to end up sending troops. Right. You know, it to me, this seems a little bit like uh, World War III. Um, there seems a lot of like World War II is um, happening here. Um, you know, you got uh, Russia going after Ukraine, but you also have rumblings of China playing around Taiwan and fl- flying into their no-fly zones. You got North Korea continuing to do their, their um, missile testing. Um, it, it, to me, this seems like it could easily turn into World War III quick. Yeah, I mean, this is look. This is what got us into World War One. You know, these nations uh, had a kind of an agreement that if if one of them was attacked, the other ones would go in there and 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 defend. Right. Yeah. And so you have you have NATO, uh, you know, in there, and it's the same thing. Well, we have this agreement now. If you're if if one of these um, NATO countries is going to be attacked, we're now obligated to go in there and and and, and fight this war. You know, this. This uh, we just we need this. This is time to, to sit back and really assess our our position in the world t- today. And getting in another war is will be a disaster for the entire world. Mm-hmm. Uh, this will have this will have ramifications like no other war ever would. And I'm not talking about the nuclear possible the nuclear yeah. side of things. We are so now connected electronically around the world yeah. and we're so so dependent upon that that uh, uh it it would be it would be devastating it would just be devastating all around and you, you'd see deaths that aren't necessarily war related as a result of this i believe right uh, uh you know the um okay so i just did something i gotta tell you you didn't even know you were going to be doing this but I just posted a link inside of the stream that if you want to ask Uncle Gary a question as it relates to end times, it relates to Gog and Magog and Revelation and, and Roche, <laughs> all, all, all the all the things. It's on the table right now. Ask Uncle Gary has just started. So click in the link. Come inside the chat room. Send a Facebook thread. Listen, yeah. if, I'm going to oh. tell you right now. I used to do this for a living, taking calls. If I don't like your question, you're gone. You're done. I, you're done. I mean, I, it might even be my own family. I'll hang up on you. I don't care. <laughs> right? So you better ask a good question, and it better be directed towards Uncle Gary, and we better all like it. So anyway, if, now, you, if you're feeling froggy, go ahead and leave. Click the link and come in here and ask a question. So, um, now, uh, go, uh, can, uh, yeah. go ahead. Uh, so Peter Hitchens said, uh, when we had him on the show a couple weeks ago, he said he was actually surprised that Putin did attack Ukraine. He said he was um, he thought Biden was just trying to kind of distract from the horrible economy. That Biden was trying to distract from you know a number of things that were going on here in the U.S. And so he thought it was just all talk and and no no beer behind it, all foam and no beer behind it. Um, how do you kind of assess you know what happened leading up to? Russia going into Ukraine. Well, I think we have to recognize the, the border disputes that have been going on for, literally for centuries. There's yeah. a there's a uh, video online that you can click on that shows 
borders changing over a thousand years. It's really fascinating. You think of the country of Italy, where my grandparents are from. You know, Italy was not a unified nation until, you know, not till, uh, I don't know, a hundred or so years ago. Okay. So borders have always been been changing. And there have been disputes with Ukraine over the former Soviet Union. We have to remember the former Soviet Union. A lot of these Eastern European countries were part of all that. Yep. And, I, and, and there is today disputes within Ukraine and Russia. There are those within Ukraine. Uh, I mean, again, I, I don't, it, it's hard to tell what the truth is anymore in, in terms of the media. Yeah. Uh, but there, you know, it's my understanding there, there's some sort of, uh, uh, kind of revival of Nazism in, in parts, in, in parts of, of Ukraine. Uh, but as far, and, and I, I watched this episode, uh, it was, a, it was a documentary called, uh, Winter on Fire. And it was oh, about, yeah. did, I don't know, if you saw that, it's yep. interesting. I forget how many years ago this was, five or six 2014. years ago. Okay, so... Here, these there's most of them were young people, but there were older people there too, and former military. Uh-huh. They wanted to, they want to join uh, the EU. They want to be part of the the European Union, and so now you've got Russia and probably and probably um, um, factions within Ukraine itself because their politics is money, and so you've got you got these these money and power interests there who wanted who want control over the, the fullness of their country just like here in the United States and so they've opposed this European Union the NATO deal there's just I think there's a lot going on here that we're not we're not being told and right. some of it we just we just don't know what the truth is with a lot of this right yeah, go ahead uh, what do you make of all like all the propaganda that's kind of yeah been going on that's been nuts um, this is the first time that I have seen well I, I mean I'm still fairly young here on planet earth i'm trying to catch up with you and look as good as you look right now when i get that age but seriously though this is the first time that i can think of that propaganda has been spread so quick and so fast where even sources that are supposed to have people on the ground can't validate or confirm any of the propaganda that's going on so that i feel like the whole goal is to make sure that we don't know anything well, again, it is questioning everything. Look what look with COVID. I mean, two years of that. I mean, we yeah. no one ever knew what the truth was. And you here, you go on Facebook, you post something, and all of a sudden, you know, Facebook Facebook puts up one of its mask comments on there. Yeah, uh, we don't know. And you know, my wife and I sit around. And she, she'll read me an article, and I said, "Well, you know, Carol, I read this article. What, I don't know what the truth is with all of this." And I, I I think you're right, though. I think the point of all that is. You don't know the truth. We know the truth. Listen to what we have to say. We'll make the decisions about all of this. Uh, but look, our government lies to us. And I don't care if they're Democrat or Republican. Yeah. We can assess that a certain percentage of what they're saying is, number one, ignorance, and number two, lies. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's, it's, it's a sad state of affairs. And then the third thing is, is that we are all connected to the world right now. Right. Uh, I mean, how many, think about the number of news sources, I, I mean, that I even click on every day and everyone else does too, that we, it's hard to, it's hard to assess it anymore. We don't have standards by which to assess. Right. We can't, there's the, the filters aren't there anymore. When I was growing up, you had two TV stations, three TV stations, right. ABC, 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 CBS, CBS yeah. and NBC. Yeah. That's right. That was That's right. And you, tr- and you trusted those guys, Walter Cronkite. I mean, he was, he was the guy. Uh-huh. Uh, and now, uh, there's so much out there that's hard to tell what's, what's going on. And, and not just in, not just in print, 
but audio and video coming in, you don't know what, to, we just don't know anymore. It's, it's really distressing in, in, in some respects. How do you assess um, Biden in all this? You know, uh, I mean, gas prices literally started going up in November 2020, four days after Trump was elected. And then they basically steadily have gone up and then obviously have exponentially got up these last couple of weeks. When Trump was elected? No, when Biden. When you said Biden. Yeah, yeah, in November, literally like November 11th, gas prices started going up. Yeah, yeah. you know, but how do you how do you kind of assess Biden in in all this with because uh, it's it's complicated. I get the fact that Ukraine's complicated, Russia's complicated, and all that stuff. Um, but no matter how I look at it, Biden's son was making millions of dollars off Ukraine. I mean, it's like it, Ukraine was a cash cow for both Republicans and Democrats. It was their third world country cash cow that they could you know mafia style government where they could pass things through and get their money back. Um, and then now, now you got Trump going to Venezuela. I guess basically Biden, mean. Biden, excuse me, Biden going to Venezuela and trying to negotiate gas with Maduro and so, all that stuff. But I guess what what calculations is Biden making in all this um, with Ukraine? Uh, in my uh, a couple of weeks ago, my wife and I flew up to a Baltimore uh, area, and a friend of mine who had been in a coma for for over three years had died, and I officiated at his um, uh, essentially his celebration of life. Uh, event and while I was going up and coming back, there was a three-part uh, uh, documentary on the rise of Nazism, which was essentially a one-year deal. And Bismarck was the chancellor. He was he was an older he was much, very old at this time. And you had all these people behind the scenes who were manipulating everyone and trying to use uh, Adolf Hitler as a tool in order to get their way. Uh, Bismarck really didn't know what to do. He was, he was being manipulated. He, he was, people were coming in and giving him information to say, hey, you ought to do this, you ought to do this. Let's make a deal with this Hitler guy and so forth. And we saw how that turned out. I think right now Biden really doesn't know what's going on. I think he's been being manipulated uh, by v- uh, very strong special interest groups behind the scene. They, they do want to cripple the United States in terms of its energy policy in order to push for their, their, their new green deal. Yep. And mm-hmm. that, and again, look, you hate to be crass about this and be so simplistic about it, but it is about money and, and power. Yep. Uh, I mean, the, the people who are the spokespeople for Biden today are just saying absolutely insane things about energy. That <laughs> uh, somehow if the gasoline goes up to six or seven dollars an hour, people are going to start going out and buy electric cars. Yeah. No, they're not. They're not going to turn in their cars for an electric car. Yep. Second. And the other thing is, where are you going to where are you going to plug in your car? Yep. Uh, you know how many get, it'd be interesting to do a, some uh, go online and find how many gasoline stations are there in the United States. Yeah. And, and I don't know if you if you know anything about an electric car, but you, you know, you cannot, you cannot recharge an electric car as fast as you can fill up a gas tank. Can you imagine <laughs> traveling, yep. traveling 700 miles or so in a, an electric car and having to wait 30 or 40 minutes in line just to get in there to charge your electric car. And then after you charge your electric car, you plug it in, you got another 40 minutes. And then in the deep freeze, what happens to an electric car in the deep freeze? Doesn't go as I mean, far. Yeah. Yep. You, yeah. And, and just think if your, yeah, just think if your battery goes out, there's nobody going to come with a charger in order to, to, 
to you know to, to uh, charge your car right. up. Right. So th- what what will happen over time? I believe is that electric cars will get better. Charging there'll be more charging stations. They'll be able to work out the the ability of um, the fast charging. The phones today, you know, they fast charge. But if you know something about a fast charging phone, if you ever if you ever pick up the phone and the charger. You put your hand around it, and what, it, what, what do you feel? It's, it's a lot warmer. Yep. Well, you can imagine what it would take to fast charge the batteries in a, in a, in a car like that. Uh, so it, there's, this is not going to happen overnight. And then then no one, everybody thinks, oh, we'll have clean energy and so forth. Well, where are you going to get the power to power these electric cars? There aren't enough power stations in the United States today to take care of a, a, a electric cars replacing gasoline-powered cars. And, and then you now you still got to go back to coal, oil, natural gas in order to fuel these particular plants. Yeah. These, these people are insane. And <laughs> we, we need to treat them as, as people who need to be you know, committed. And the only way you can do that is go to the, you know, go vote, <laughs> vote these guys out of office yeah. and put them in a political straitjacket. Well, Unc, <laughs> uh, why you, oh my goodness. I can't believe you just said that. Uh, we're going to get canceled. Uh, we're already canceled. So who cares? Uh, but Unc, you know, have you seen though, that Biden has in this bill that he passed his infrastructure bill, they got this plan in there for 15,000 new electric charging stations. So they're trying to solve the problem, right? Well, how how much money went into gasoline stations? Yeah. Private money went into those. Yeah. Uh, here we go again. The government's going to come in and do this, and it's going to be political favors. Who's going to get these charging stations? Where are they going to go? They're mm. mostly going to be on, on highways, I suspect. But you still you still have the problem of, you know, the, the, you know, we'll just talk about the science. This is not an easy, easy thing to do. Mm. Um, and if you let the free market take care of this, if, nat- if, if gasoline naturally goes up, uh, it'll, it will, electric side of this thing will, will compensate for it. And we'll see an easy transition into, in, into electric cars if that's where it's what people want and if, that, and if it's financially feasible. But, but forcing this on the American public, it just isn't going to work. And keep in mind that electric, electric vehicles go all the way back to Henry Ford and Thomas Edison. Uh, so the, the idea of electric vehicles has had a long, long history among those who actually had internal combustion engines as well. They, they saw that this was something that was going to be possible. Yeah. I just, you just need to let the market take care of this and get the government out of it. So in light of all of this, you have war that's on the brink. You have um, right now. It feels like somewhat of a famine with supply chains that are you go into your shelves, your grocery store and things are all out of whack. The last two years have been an absolute mess. It's just people trying to live and get work and supply and pay for bills. We've had uh, probably more hint. The whole nation now has been on some sort of welfare for the last two years. Um, and then now with Russia and Ukraine and all the world conspiring one way or another to figure out which side they're going to be on. There has been an emergence of the end times conversation that has started yeah. back up again. That's right. That uh, I, I'm not going to lie. I just thought we were. I thought we were done with this. You've spent your <laughs> a large part of your life, you know, yeah. fighting and engaging with this battle, and it just felt like it was over after you got done. You know, after I got done working for you for a year and hearing it all and reading your books and then settling this decision for myself, I just knew there was no more. 
at least in a really real, real way after your work that evangelicalism was <laughs> going to take this kind of situation serious again because everybody is seeing all the stuff that we talked about all the things that uh, they're afraid of with war and russia and and they're they've all resorted back to uh-oh and i hear it in in everywhere we are here now we are at the end times world war three is about to happen here we go how, how what and and I, I gotta apologize to you because i thought man why is unc writing another book yeah <laughs> on the yeah. end times you know what i mean yeah. Oh, yeah, I know. I know. Um, my wife says the same thing. Isn't this like your 10th book on Bible prophecy? <laughs> and, uh, and I, well, I, because they, the same stuff keeps coming up again. I just think people are, uh, they're not aware of the history of all of this. I mean, you keep in mind, Late Great Planet Earth came out in 1970. That's right. That was 52 years ago. And that book sold 26 million copies in the 1970s. Uh, wow. Russia was agog. This that was one of the chapters in the Late Great Planet Earth. So um, Johnny Cash wrote a song uh, called Matthew Twenty Four is knocking at the door. Uh, I, I have, I have well, you've seen my library. I have a huge library going back on the eschatology side of things. World War Two, World War One. Uh, I just posted something on Facebook today from a commentary that was published over four hundred some years ago, where uh, William Greenhill has an entire single column, small type of all the different interpretations over the centuries on, on Ezekiel 38 and 39. Yep. This isn't anything new. Yep. Uh, this, this, the same Bible passages that were used 100, 200, 300, 400, 500 years ago are being used today. The only difference is, are the names of the characters involved? And the geography is the same. It's the same deal. And unfortunately, lots of Christians don't really read their Bible. They listen to authorities out there and what, what these authorities say, and how can these guys be wrong without ever actually opening up their Bible and look at the text for themselves to see what's going on. I think um, that the next book you should write is actually on the mark of the beast and COVID and um uh, that actually might be a good idea. You know, on the on the Ukraine Russian war, like connect all that because um, we've been in being on cross politics. We're starting to get into some funny evangelical circles where, you know, the COVID patent was six 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 zero six, you know, number, yeah. and and that whole world just kind of took off with that narrative. And then now you got the Ukraine Russian war, which has really been um, weird because you can't get people to just so, uh, you know, I I learned my theonomy from you right like I, I i came into a theonomic world from from working from you and then from there i got into rush dooney and then gary north man gary died you know last week be praying for his family yeah, yeah. um and had sweet times of conversation with him in the office as well but I, you know one of the things that i learned was the op the spheres and the sovereignty of spheres and how they operate and who's in control in those spheres and the thing that I saw first went with the pandemic wasn't about like, oh, six, six, six is in the vaccine. And, you know, this is the number of the leader of the the first thing I saw was, wait a second, there's yeah. an opportunity here for another sphere to swallow up another sphere so it can own it. That is wrong. We shouldn't <laughs> we shouldn't allow this fear to be able to tell this fear over here who is in control of health, welfare and the family 
the federal government or the the civil magistrate doesn't have a say so over those type of things and they can't tell this man in this fear not to go to work that's not how they're supposed to operate that's not their rule that's not the authority so we couldn't get people excited about that but we could get people excited about the idea oh my goodness we might be getting the mark of the beast in a vaccine Right. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, you see, I'm going to hold this up. I don't know if you can see this right down here. Let's see this way, right there. Yep. That is a barcode. <laughs> okay. That barcode bar has three long lines, longer than the rest of them. One on the left, one in the middle, and one on the right. And that barcode, I have a, I have a book that, that supposedly that barcode is six 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 six. Yeah, uh, and so bar, now no one's even saying that anymore. We've moved beyond barcodes onto something else. Mm. Um, by the way, the mark, the number of the beast is six hundred and sixty-six, not simply just three sixes. I've got a my old my old SunTrust uh, credit card. Uh, I don't know if you can see this, but uh, let's see. It, it's yeah. hard to tell. The last three digits are six 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 six. What's what's the rest uh, of them? <laughs> it's expired it doesn't work <laughs> but you know again people don't people they look, the position that you and I and others in our group hold isn't 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 fascinating enough there's not enough jazz in it I was going to ask you someone, someone comes along and says I'm going to tell you what the future is all about it's just like a guy who goes on the radio and he has He's, he's selling uh, something on how you can make money. Uh, and he'll tell you, well, when I'm, you know, when I did this, I made X number of dollars. Now I'm going to tell you how you can do this too. Yeah. Our position doesn't say that. Our position says, well, the Ezekiel 38, 39, I mean, come on. Did you read the chapter? They're, they're fighting with bows and arrows, clubs, spears. Uh, they're on horseback and chariots. Yep. And so, oh, and, the, and, and by the way, then the literalist comes along and says, Oh, well, wait a minute. No, horses, that's horsepower. Bows and arrows, that's missiles and missile launchers. Uh, spears, those are j javelin missiles. Chariots are tanks. Yeah. Uh, and and so, and, and typically we're described as the ones who don't interpret the Bible literally. Right. Uh, I interpret that very literally. And then they take, a, they take a, a common Hebrew word, rosh, which is used 600 times in the Old Testament. And they said, boy, you know what? That sounds like Russia. And so this is modern day Russia. And then you talk about what well, this happens in the North. And so, but wait a minute, Russia is fighting with tanks and, you know, all kinds of other things and missiles and, you know, what happened here? Right. Uh, and, and this is why if you go through history, you'll see everybody, every generation took the Gog and Magog prophecy and applied it to their era. That Gog and Magog prophecy was fulfilled centuries ago. It's, 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 not, it's not prophetic history anymore. It's past history, and we need to move on from that and get, get about the business of the kingdom. And at the same time, not dismissing what's taking place in the world today. There were beasts mentioned in the book of Daniel. There are beasts mentioned in the book of Revelation. Uh, Paul mentions beasts at the church of Ephesus. Uh, there are modern day political beasts. We can learn from prof mm. prophetic, prophetic passages about these beasts, but you don't need a prophetic text in order to tell you that there are political beasts out there. 
So, Unc, is it fair to say, because what I want to get at, if somebody's listening, there's probably a few people who still hold to a dispensational worldview. I'm trying to get them to come in and ask you a question. I don't know if they're, they're bold enough to. We're not going to bite. Uncle. Ge- well, he might bite a little bit, but Uncle Gary loves you. It's a loving spank bite. Uh, but one of the things that I, I, you know, the since Christ rose from the dead, the position of, of Lord and Emperor has been filled. And so we're not going to get what we've gotten in the past because those kind of kingdoms are coming down. But what we start to see though, uh, is I'm asking if it's fair to say this. So correct me if I'm wrong. Is it fair to say that what we see now are things that mimic maybe what was old as we are inconsistent with the way that God has made the world and and Christ being the new Lord so that we, we, we hear echoes of that, but they won't ever come to true fruition. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I, look, Second uh, Timothy chapter 3, they will not make further progress, further folly will be obvious to all. And, and, and But Paul tells us how you do that. And he says, you need to follow my teaching and apply my teaching. And then he commends uh, Timothy because he was raised in a Christian home by his grandmother and his mother. We as Christians have not applied the Bible to every area of life. We've said the world's evil, Jesus is coming back, he's going to rapture us out of here, politics is dirty. There's a separation between church and state. You can't impose your morality on other people. And so the, we've got the world we have today is because Christians have abandoned much of it. And, and by the way, there's a question. There's a good question here by uh, by Josiah. I'm glad you're reading. I was going to ask if you were reading that. Yeah, go ahead. I came from the position that fighting with swords on horseback must mean that there was some sort of technological breakdown in our future. And I've heard that too. And the, the problem with that position is the, the whole end time scenario put forth today is technology. You're going to have a microchip under your, in the skin of your, your hand. Yep. Uh, you're going to be card readers, uh, you know, uh, cancel culture, social, uh, social uh, profiling and all that. You're not going to be able to do that in a, in a like um, from a, a, the time of the book of Eli. Uh, you can't have it both ways. If, if you say, if you say that that's our future, we're going to be fighting with bows and arrows and all that sort of thing. Uh, I doubt I doubt that that's going to be the case because uh, rifles and shotguns and handguns and bullets and so forth uh, are are the, the kind of a, the personal weapon of the day and it's not going to be bows and arrows and so forth. I, I do have bow a bow and arrow just in case, just in case. Uh, that way I can I can knock somebody off with, with silence. Yeah. Uh, let not let them know where I'm coming from. But you know, but this is what people have to do in order to take a a portion of scripture. Uh, you know, completely out of its historical context, projected 2,600 years in the future and say, this is, this is happening today. And I wrote a book on this called the Gog and Magog End Time Alliance, which deals with all this and explains uh, what Ezekiel 38 and 39 was prophetic of and why it's already been fulfilled. Uh, and you, and I'll give you one, just one example of this. If you look at Ezekiel chapter 38, I think it's verse 13. These invaders that come down on Israel, what do they want? They want gold, silver, cattle, and goods. Those are the four things they want. And if you look and if you look at Ezra chapter 1 verse 4, what did the Jews bring back from the captivity? Gold, silver, cattle, and goods. So there is a parallel between kind of like what happened to Israel when they came out of Egypt. They were laden down with 
with, uh, with all of the riches that they could you know, get out of here. We're tired of having you. You're a problem. The same thing happened when they came back from captivity. So a lot of that was, was going to be used to rebuild the temple. Well, Haman in the book of, of Esther promises these mercenaries that he will pay them in silver and that he promises the king that he will then uh, uh, add to the treasury. Well, where was he going to get this? Where was he going to get this silver? Mm-hmm. He was going to take it from the Jews who had returned to the land. And of course, when you study the you study the book of Esther, you find out that Haman and, and by the way, you also find the phrase Haman Gog in the book of Ezekiel. And Haman is the guy who goes in and tries to attack the Jews during this period of time. And he's thwarted. He loses. And the Jews and the Jews win, and then the Jews end up building building the temple and are, are, are brought back to the land again. That's you don't have to go outside of the Bible to find the the answer to these things. It's right in the Bible if you're willing to look for it. So, um, Uncle Gary, I actually maybe want to take a step back and even just talk about kind of how to approach prophecy and you know books like Ezekiel in the first place. Um, a lot of Christians I don't think are taught well on how to even just read the prophecies. Well, even and, their Bible. You know, even their Bible, <laughs> yeah. And so um, I want to bounce this off you. Um, so when I think about Ezekiel or Jeremiah or whatever, when I'm reading one of those um, uh, my, uh, major or minor prophets, um, the, they're written to basically like four groups of people. <laughs> so... Um, the first group is kind of who Jeremiah was writing to right then and there. The second group was overlapped. It could overlap with those who uh, Jeremiah was writing to and who he is writing to for the fulfillment of those texts, of those prophecies. And then the third group is, is who Jeremiah was writing to when Jesus was going to fo- ultimately fulfill those prophecies. And then the fourth group is kind of like us. Here we are. Right, but First Corinthians kind of First Corinthians yeah, ten. These yeah. are written for your wisdom, right? And so I don't think being able to understand kind of the categories of of how the prophecies are, should be read is is really helpful. What are your thoughts on that? Um, someone asked a question about Bismarck or Hindenburg. Yeah, it was Hindenburg, not uh, not, not Bismarck. Bismarck. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. All right. When, let's look at New Testament prophecy because that's where mo- most of us, that's where we are right now. Yeah. Yeah, Ezekiel 38, 39 gives you the weapons, um, uh, the, the nations that, that are there, uh, Haman, Gog, all that sort of thing. But what, when you get in the New Testament, what you have to do is pay attention to the audience. To whom is Jesus speaking? Yep. And Matthew 24 comes up because it has wars and rumors of wars, verse 6 of chapter 24. Well, Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21 aren't written in isolation of the rest of the New Testament. If you look at Matthew's gospel, Jesus is at the Mount of Olives in chapter 21. And he's there 21, 22, and 23. And if you read Matthew 21, 22, and 23, it is a detailed indictment upon that generation. And just to show you why audience relevance is so important, Jesus's religious enemies said, understood. He said, well, Jesus is talking about us, Mm. about, you know, they understood what Jesus was talking about. Then you get to chapter 23 in in Matthew and Jesus just indicts that, that the generation of religious leaders. And he says, all, all of the, the, the murders that took place from the, from, you know, um, Cain killing Abel up until that particular time, are going to come due on that generation. 
And he said it was going to come upon this generation, their generation. Jesus said, your house is being left to you desolate. So, and then Jesus says he comes out from the temple when he says this. So Jesus was in the temple when he said that. And that's why his, his, some of his disciples came up to him privately and, and asked Jesus about this. You mean this temple, the right. one that's being, re, that's being rebuilt, right. that was finally finished in A.D. 64? Are you talking about this temple? Jesus isn't talking about some re, new rebuilt temple. He's not talking about something in the future. He says not one stone here will be left upon another. They'll all be torn down. And that was a reality that took place in that generation. So you then, how do you figure out what this generation means? Go and look in Matthew's gospel and see what this generation means everywhere else in the, in the, in the gospel of, of John or of Matthew. You don't need to be a Bible scholar to do this. You just have to pay attention to the audience and the time frame of what's, of what's being talked about. You can, and I don't see how anybody, uh, you know, when I first became a Christian, I didn't know anything about the Bible. I started reading the book of um, Matthew, gospel, uh, Matthew's gospel. I had a had my father's uh, uh, Second World War New Testament Gideon Bible. It's all I had, and I started reading in in Matthew because remember, late great planet Earth was going on, and I came yep. across a passage in Matthew ten twenty three. There's some standing here. I know it's the ten, yeah, you will not finish going to the the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. Then you got Matthew 16, 27, 28. There are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man come in his kingdom. Yeah. Then I got Matthew chapter 24, verse 34. This generation will not pass away until all these things take place. You pull all of that together, and I don't know how you come up with any other generation than the generation that Jesus was speaking. Right. But people don't know this. They just don't get it. They 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 like the sensationalism and they trust, they trust, you know, David Jeremiah talks on this or uh, 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 Joel Rosenberg teaches on this. John MacArthur teaches on this. You, you know, you read these guys and you say, look, these, these guys just can't be wrong. They can't, you know, who are you to, to come up and criticize these people? Yeah. I'm nobody. I, all I'm doing is I'm just taking you to the Bible to see what it says. And they would tell you to do the same thing. Right. So uh, it seems like though, you know, I kind of want to do a couple of things. Maybe I'll say that for my next question. When we start talking about end times, we start talking about, how this whole thing is going to wrap up. Everyone feels like that there is going to have to be some sort of, and going through history, I really learned this about world war one. There's going to have to be some sort of massive form of destruction in order to be able to get us out of this, to, that bursts and brings forth something new, whatever, whatever it is, whether they believe in the rapture or not, they're waiting for some, some sort of massive form of judgment, destruction to come. And so they see, these wars in World War One, they were expecting that whatever happened, they were going to rebirth this whole new world and culture right. out of war. They were expecting that. And I think in the conscience of at least American minded people, we are expecting some sort of judgment situation to happen through war that cleanses. And then brings about a whole nother world, whether or not we say that that's kind of how we talk. So then when you take away our dispensational ideology and worldview, we don't then know what fills that void or gap because we're really expecting some sort of judgment to come in order to clean this thing out, because that's how it that's how we cleanse it is through that judgment. How do you get people? Because at that point, it's not just it's a it's not just a theological issue. It's a mythos for people. Right. It's a it's a it's a narrative for people that they're anchored in 
that even theologically there that's it's it's deeper than that well that i mean i think that is the question of the day uh, i mean i'm i'm on facebook and people are criticizing me because i don't talk about you know the uh, the, the the distant time where Jesus will would, would return and uh, uh, it could be that could be five hundred a thousand two thousand fifteen thousand twenty thousand years in the in the future yeah and I'm trying to deal with what's taking place here and now and people are always saying well it's the already and not yet and all that look friends uh, you know what, what what David just said here is extremely important. World War I comes along and devastates Europe, and, and World War I led to what became World War II and the rise yeah. of Adolf Hitler and so forth. Um, and every war, things get, things get more concentrated in terms of power. The only way we can stop this is if Christians finally understand that the Bible applies to every area of life. We are ripe for judgment on abortion, homosexuality, transgenderism, uh, just, just so many things. I'm, I'm surprised... I'm surprised that it hasn't already happened. And 9-11, you, you would have thought 9-11 was a wake-up call. Yeah. But it wasn't. Look how quickly we got back to the same old ways of looking at things like this This kind of stuff, you know, just it happens and we can move on from it. Uh, the, the next thing is probably going to be much more devastating. But that isn't necessarily the end of the world. That's right. Uh, we That's don't right. know what's going to come out of this. Uh, you know, it, it's, I mean, China... Uh, this is why the you know, getting the gospel out to these nations is so important. These Christians in these various nations need to stand up to these political leaders. We need to do it here today. Uh, I, I don't want to disparage those in the military, but there is this kind of thing in the United States today where, you know, like the military can't do any wrong. Let's let's go get them, guys. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's this is we're in a we're in a really tough spot, but I'm 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 fairly convinced that there is no rapture that's going to get us out of this. And I don't, I don't believe that the second coming is going to get us out of this either. Uh, we're going to have to, uh, just like God left it up to Israel through their judgments to get back to the basics, get back to the formulation of who is Lord, by what standard, we either learn that lesson now or we're going to have to keep going through this, you know, generation after generation. The Christians need to wake up. And this is, one of the things I'm going to be talking about when I go to Boise, um, wh who's really the problem here? We know what the unbelievers are like. We know what their worldview is. Yeah. Uh, the question is, what's our worldview? What's our worldview, and what difference does it make that we have this worldview? And do we do we have anything to say to the world in which we live? Th th this is the this is the critical issue of the day. So, you, what are you going out to Boise for? And when? Uh, I'm, I'm speaking, uh, you asked me the particulars of this, I'm speaking <laughs> at, at a fundraiser uh, for a group uh, that's a, a political action group uh, in, in Boise, and then on, on Thursday night, and then on Saturday, um, uh, there is a, a kind of a training, training, training session from 9 to 3 o'clock on essentially giving people the particulars on what, on, on what, they, need, what they need to be doing in order to get involved. You know, the, so the, the easy part of it seems, and I want to get, I want to ask you this question in a second. I keep pushing it off. Unk, so forgive me. Um, it, the responsibility that we see right now between Ukraine and Russia um, and all of our foreign policy, it's easy to look at that right now and look and say, Hey, you know, 
that's just the way things go. It's end time prophecy. It's going to happen. But everything that you just got done saying, Unc, puts the responsibility at the door of people who aren't living in a certain type of way where they are actively working in their in their sovereign their sphere of sovereignty that they have right in their homes in their families in their cultures and communities that leaves open this huge massive gap for then this other sphere to come in and to operate and then we all feel helpless at some point you know well, you know think about it think about what is what is driving all of this in the united states today and it's it's very simple and there're probably a couple of things but one of the things that's very simple to correct Christian parents are still sending their children to the schools that hate everything they believe. And a lot of those Christian parents think, well, not my school. My school is different. It's only different in degree. But here we are turning our children over to the government, to government educators. Uh, and we, we saw this with what happened in Virginia. And if you think that that's the only place that this is, this is happening, uh, you're, you're fooling yourselves. These school boards are toxic. Yeah. And they have taken over the curriculum. You parents don't know what's really being taught in school. And here, this thing in the, the so-called uh, the no gay the no gay bill in in Florida. And when you go and you look at this bill that mentions nothing about gayness, the word isn't even in there. But it's it's to stop you go, them going all the way down to uh, three year olds up to five year olds yep. and teaching them about transgenderism and sexual reassignment and homosexuality and so forth. They, they, they want to capture they want to capture your children and, and parents are just turning their kids over to these people and fighting and fighting school boards. We have been fighting public schools for decades when they took prayer and Bible reading out, which wasn't much anyway in 62 and, and 63. Think of that for, for was that 40, 50, 60, almost seven, uh, almost 70 years. We've been fighting the same battle. We're going to, you know, we're going to save the public schools. No, you're not. You're not going to save them. God doesn't want the public schools saved. He wants to get, get you to get your kids out of the government schools and either teach them at home, teach them on some on, online deal um, uh, and some Christian school. Your church, your church is, is vacant um, um, most, most every day of the week. Uh, you can turn your, like where, where our, some of our, four of our grandchildren go to school it's 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 at our, our local Christian, I mean, local church. We use the church facilities for this. Um, so there are lots of easy remedies here, but a lot of Christians just don't want to do it. It'll be it'll be too late for them when they'll have to make this decision about when their children turn on them and, and turn them into the authorities because they're not going along with the prevailing worldview. Oh, yuck. All right. Uncle, um, here's where I want to here's where I want to go to. I want you to take my dispensational worldview that I have. I want you to remove it, and then I want you to put in place the right biblical worldview so that, you know, I, I've realized that, so your eschatology and your your narrative of Genesis and your understanding of your eschatology are all connected. Like, these two are not separate. How yeah. you understand what happened in the garden is actually what you you know, how you should understand what happens in your es eschatological worldviews. And if you get one of these wrong, if you get Genesis wrong, you're going to have a messed up eschatological worldview. And it's going to lead you somewhere else, which is where we're seeing right now, which is abdication of responsibility all the way around. And and somehow people have are able to create this 
perspective on Genesis that seems right, but then when you come to the eschatology, it has no connection to the real story that's Genesis. That is the beginning, the metaphysical understanding of what man is and what he's for. And then you look at the eschatology and it's like, how did you get that from the the whole intent and purpose of a human being? Um, and what earth is and what, what it's for and what man is and what he's for. And then how do you even understand the gospel in relation to that? So if you can try and distill shortly in kind of what you know to be, you know, dispensationalism probably better than most dispensationalists. And if you can kind of detach that, do surgery real quick and cut dispensationalism out, what people think that they hold to, because some people probably even don't even know what they're holding to in dispensationalism chuck that joker out and put in something new that's supposed to make this engine run better. Okay, I'm, I'm going to make this as simple as I can. When you read the New Testament on eschatology, you are reading Israel's eschatology. That's mm. what you're reading. Mm. You, you read Matthew's gospel, and it's all about a covenant lawsuit against the, the, the unbelieving aspects within Judaism. Now, keep in mind that the first Christians were, in fact, Jews. But th- this is what you're reading in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, not so much in John. You are reading Israel's eschatology. Uh, and it was in Israel's eschatology was local. We could read Matthew 24. Matthew 24, you could escape what, was gonna, what Jesus describes on foot by going to the mountains outside uh, outside of Jerusalem. Luke says, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, it's not talking about today. He was talking about then. That was Israel's eschatology. Israel's eschatology is over. It's done. And what dispensationalists say, I know, Gary, there's a double fulfillment. This is going to happen again. So be- because they say it's going to happen again, we're now having to look for another Jewish Holocaust. I debated Michael Brown a couple of weeks ago, and I brought this up to him. And I said, look, if if you believe in double fulfillment, he believed that, you know, what happened in AD 70, this is what Jesus said, but, he said, but there's a double fulfillment. And then he, and he said, Gary, how can you say that the Great Tribulation took place then? How do you deal with, how do you deal with uh, um, the, 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 the Holocaust where six million Jews were killed? Well, if that isn't wasn't the Great Tribulation, then according to the dispensational view, that means there has to be another, another one. Another one. And, and sure enough, if you read the dispensational literature, they believe there's going to be another slaughter of, of, of Israel. And I'm not making this up. I've got the quotations to, you know, to prove it. They, they all say this. Uh, they all say that two-thirds of the Jews living in Israel are going to be killed right. again. I, I, I debated Paige Patterson a number of years ago, and uh, he, he says, oh, yeah, that's going to happen. Israel has to be thrown—think of this. He said Israel has to be thrown out of the land again and be brought back believing, and which means there has to be another slaughter of the, of the Jews. Um, look, what we read in the New Testament is Israel's eschatology. Our eschatology is Jesus is Lord. Jesus mm. said, go you know, go teach the nations, teach the nations what I've taught you. Baptize the nations, teaching them everything that I taught you. That's that's New Testament eschatology. Jesus is Lord. We are the temple. 
Jesus is the temple. It's, it's a combination. Jesus is the, is the chief cornerstone. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He is the, he is the ultimate high priest. This is, that's New Testament eschatology. And, and over the centuries, over the centuries, Christians believe that to such an extent, and they may not have articulated it that way, but they believed it so much that they saw every aspect of the world open up to them, mm. and they created universities and art and music and right. science and medicine. You go down the list, Christianity transformed, transformed the, the, the world. And uh, Vishal Mangawaldi has a great book called the, the Book That Made Your World. Yeah. And it's a, it's a description of just how impactful Christianity was. But over the last 200 years or so, Christians have, have waffled on this. Well, you know, the world belongs to the devil. Satan is the god of this world, we hear. Uh, well, actually says Satan is the god of this age. And yet uh, Paul talks about in, in Romans 16, 20, God will soon crush Satan under your feet. He was talking to the Romans. So we as Christians, this is God's world. We hear that all the time. we got songs on it. This is God's world. Now, it's God's world. Get busy in God's world. Applying the Bible to yourself and, and self-government, family government, church government, and civil government. Those are your, sphere, your spheres of jurisdictional authority. Your first responsibility is yourself and governing yourself under God, recognizing as God is a governor of all things. You're, you need to get your family in order. It's, it's a government, and there's all kinds of things you can do in terms of your family. Uh, the church is a, a, a government. We, the, this stuff needs to be taught from the pulpit. Uh, churches, look, if your pastor isn't teaching you on jurisdictions and so forth, uh, you, you either stay there because you like the fellowship, but then you need to go elsewhere uh, to find out how these jurisdictions work and understand these jurisdictions so that when you go vote, politically in terms of civil government you'll know what not to vote for and what you should vote for so i actually got a question getting into politics you're coming to boise uh this week and you're going to be doing a boot camp we talked about that a little bit oh you already did i missed it a little bit you you left you've got the you've got the specifics of this i just go where people tell me to go you 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 have you didn't have the specifics no Go ahead. <laughs> well, uh, um, this is kind of related to the, the event in Boise, but um, one of the things that I've noticed over the last couple of years as I've, you know, journeyed into politics, ran for county commissioner and stuff like that, is just, just how um, complacent and uninvolved conservatives are. You know, we lost our city council election uh, last November. to Our city council in Moscow is all liberal. But... Only thirty percent of conservatives showed up to vote in the in the at the booth here in Moscow, yeah. and so of course we lost. I mean, if we had, I think I think the numbers were if we had sixty percent show up, uh, then we would have uh, you know probably tied or been close. It would have been a close race. Um, so it, you know, looking okay. at the end time okay. stuff, okay. and go ahead. Politics is politics is dirty. Jesus didn't get mixed up in politics. There's a separation between church and state. We can't impose our morality on other people. You've heard all these things from Christians out there. Uh-huh. That's what we're that's what we're fighting against. Unc, I think it's uh, worse than that. I think it's worse than that. I think I I wish it was as easy as that. You know what I think it is? Eh. 
That's what I think it yeah. is. I think it's eh. I can't now. I can solve the problems that you just got done naming because I have argument for those. When somebody goes like, eh, I don't care so much about local politics, right. or you know, it's it's okay, whatever. That that's worse to me than all of those other theological. I can fight those positions. It's the, eh, you know. And of course, a lot of a lot of Christians like big government. That's what they I like mean. Free education. What do you mean? You take my free education? When are you talking about free education? There's nothing free, right? Um, so, and, and so I don't. Anyway, it's, it's the yeah. They don't. There's there's no care whatsoever on that level. There's no um, drive to it. So that I think that we think way more national than local. So that if it was something that was like presidential, we might feel more drawn to. If it was governor, we feel more drawn to. But just on the local level, when it comes to our local politicians, it's hard to get. I was in Alabama and I went to, um, I can't remember the name of it, Eagle Forum. And man, God bless them. It was full of ladies, Unc. It was full of ladies and old ladies. It was full of a lot of old ladies and there were maybe one man there, one man out of all the ladies. And I was watching this. Well, Eagle, well, Eagle Forum was started as, as, a, as a woman's movement by Phyllis Schlafly. So it's, there's, it's not an accident that there's that, probably mostly women there. But even but so, right. there was yeah. There's, yeah. one guy was there and I'm sure they would have loved to have more men because here's, here's what it was. They couldn't get people engaged on the local level to come out to these events. One of the events that was going on was the transgender movement was having some side, some sort of um, law they were trying to get passed through the Senate. And there's these guys who show up dressed up as women who are trying to Debo and punk these old ladies <laughs> who are there trying to speak against them and it's and it's and i'm sitting here saying wait a second like this is if we're if we have our we're not caring enough that we send great grandma and grandma and our wives out to in the front lines to do battle against men dressed like women it's no wonder why we're losing in one sense or another we don't we're not caring so much about it and i'm praising god for these ladies because they're in one way or another they're lifting up you know, some sort of fight. But when I heard what was going on, one of the ladies was telling me, Oh yeah, they're nasty. Oh yeah. They're nasty toward us. And I was uh, part of me just, yeah, these, you know, yeah, these women, these women have, these women have seen them. I mean, they, these old women, they've been around these yep. young people. The, the life is, the life is too good for them. In fact, it, I think it goes along with this question that Stephen uh, Caswell asked. He said, Martin, L- Martin Lloyd Jones held a spiritual historicist on millennial view uh, and would cite, presumably summarizing his position, the Matthew 24, 37 passage, as it was in the days of Noah. And if you read this passage, and this, this, is, this brings us b- back to this, uh, uh, let's see, verse 38, for as in those days, which were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, they were marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And so what you have people going on and doing during this period of time where Jesus says their generation was going to suffer this judgment, they were just going on with life and said, yeah, well, I don't believe what Jesus said. And, you know, life is just going to go on and on. There aren't going to be any, uh, any bumps in the road. Uh, and they were just like those before the flood. And, and now I'll add on to this. And the flood came and took them all away. And the, the point there is, is that the ones who were taken away in the flood were those who disbelieved. 
The ones who were left behind were Noah and his family. Right. Mm. And so I think what we've got a kind of a generation of people today who are eating, you know, hey, you know, we, the restaurants are open now and we can go out, we can do this and we can do that. Uh, we, we go on life as normal and none of this stuff is going to come and harm us. And it's, it's the same sort of mindset. So right. during this period before the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70, there were the scoffers who said, oh, you know what Jesus said about this, that's not going to happen and so forth. And they, they, they were rude awakening a few years later when, when the Romans came in and, sw- and, and swept them all away. Yep. Uh, and I think the same thing is, is happening today. We've got too many complacent people. Life is good, even though gasoline prices are heading you know, north of uh, you know, $5. Life is still pretty good. Um, and it's not as bad as it could be, right. uh, but there is this creep that's taking place Bit by bit, we tolerate more and more and more and more. You can't watch a commercial. You can't watch a TV program without some transgender or some uh, homosexual right. on. Uh, it's, and we've, we've, look, we've let this happen. We really have. It's, un, it's unfortunate. Uh, but, but Christians, in, in many respects, are somewhat to blame it's, on, on this. It seems like part of the problem is, is actually just um, uh, the church understanding how to pass things well off to the next generation, kind of a covenantal yep. Um, yep. Uh, you know, passing of the baton. Uh, well, uh, previous well, generations been blessed. America's been blessed. We got two cars, TVs, all that stuff. Well, we've done a great job you know. of passing on certain things to the next generation, which is why we're doing so bad. Right. right. <laughs> like that's. Or we sense. can't pass faithfulness right. down. Right. Faithfulness why, is. A, why is the church not able to pass faithfulness down, especially faithfulness in the midst of blessing? Well, and I think this is. Uh, I, I want to ask you one more question. You got a second for one more question before you go? Yeah, yeah. I'm just trying to find this this event I'm doing going to so I can. Uh, give people specifics if they're in the Boise area. Yeah, there is because I want to talk to you about foreign policy. So while you think while you're doing that, I want to talk to you about the way because I think biblically we understand the the sovereignty, the sphere of sovereignty, and how they're supposed to operate. And then when we get to the nation part, the civil magistrate part, we really break down on foreign policy. Um, and I want to I, 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 I want to talk just a little bit how we, we as Christians need to think about foreign policy, but. Um, the the answer to our problem to fix our problem is an easy answer that requires a lot of hard work and there isn't there really isn't um some magic trick some magic thing to plug into gabe that we get and it fixes our problem if you this is so simple and once you get this man you're you you can almost change the world if you can really get your home in order if you can really start applying God's word right in your home, I had a spat the other day with my two children and I sat there and watched for a second and see if they were going to figure this thing out. And when they couldn't figure it out, we had to have a court case. (laughs) (laughs) We had to have a court case and I was able to bring witnesses to the table. I was able to apply everything that I learned from scripture. I said, guys, how am I able to come to a conclusion about this? Because I'm using the word of God and I'm applying it. And so that's how we came to a resolve. Let me tell you something, children. Do that before you ever get here. You can do yeah. the exact same thing with your siblings and start applying God's word to the situation so that you never have to go to court about this particular thing with dad. And as you live like that in loving your neighbor 
and figuring out where those lines distinctions are and applying those things, then you can go out into the rest of the world and resolve problems with your friends, <laughs> resolve problems with your civil magistrates, resolve problems with police officers, right? When you start understanding that, then you start applying it to everything that you touch. And, and that kind of reality has an effect beyond the home. It has an effect to every um, calling that you're in in your life, whether it's going to work have you, with your work relationships, having that with your civil magistrates, where you are, when you're voting. And if we're and the reason why this is so far away from us, is because really, we don't have any of it any of the biblical uh, worldview applied to where we are locally. And then you start doing that, everything falls into place after that. So Unc, here's my question. Um, how do we think about and how do we, we're in such a mess right now when it comes to our foreign policy. We've made such a mess with them in America, with other nations trying to bring democracy to them as if that a was our responsibility. Time. We've been yeah. it's, it's such a mess, yeah. long, long, deep mess. How do how what's the standard that we should think about when it comes to foreign policy as Christians? And then how do we get out of the mess that we're currently in right now? I, I think what we, I think what we ought to do, and I thought a lot about this. I really believe that Christians, like organizations like yours and mine and others, churches all across the United States, uh, good solid churches, need to link up internationally. The, the only mm. thing that seems to work with these screwballs out there are, are numbers. Uh, if, 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 if you if you had Christians, churches, you know, demonstrating, going to the, you know, the government said, we don't want this war. Let's try to work this thing out. You know, churches in Ukraine and churches in, in Russia get together and try to sol solve this problem in terms of first, first Corinthians chapter six. Mm. Uh, you know, th I really think that this, this is where we need to go with this. We, we need to, we need to be, you know, we talk about government. Government is not solely political uh, and mm. church government is real. And I, we you know, we have denominations, uh, and you guys are kind of fighting this in terms of the Southern Baptist Convention. It doesn't always, it all, it doesn't always work. <laughs> but I, I think we need to connect up with with other churches and other religious groups around the world, and see what we can do in order to uh, interesting craziness that's out there um, you know i never uh, thought about that real quick that's really a that's that's kind of profound what you're saying yeah. is we're looking at this only from a civil magistrate yeah. government pr perspective instead of saying wait a second there's three other governments that we have to work with and right. one of those being the church yeah and the, and, and the, well, the church doesn't have the sword the church does the church does have the keys and supposedly, you know, Putin is a member of an Orthodox Russian church, Orthodox I'm church. guessing. And I don't know about the, the, the leader of, uh, of, of, of Ukraine, but you have all these people in, in office who are also members of churches. Uh, we, we, need, we need to apply pressure on them, them in terms of church government. But here's the problem. A lot of Christians don't look at the, the church as a government. Mm. Uh, they, 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 they don't see it like that at all. But in, in biblical terms, it's a government. First Corinthians chapter six. Why are you going to unbelievers to solve your problems? You should be able to fix this thing here. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, and there is a civil dimension to all of this. But here you got Joe Biden. Joe Biden is a member of the Catholic church. He gets, goes Ash Wednesday, gets, gets the ashes comes out and, and uh, attacks 
attacks uh, Texas on the abortion issue, and and the church just lets him go in there and and, and, yep. and participate in, in services. You yep. got Nancy Pelosi's the, the same deal. You had the Cuomos, Roman Catholic Cuomos. The church didn't do anything to them. Uh, the church is weak and is perceived to be weak, and as a result of that, right. the, the civil magistrates and generally the people at large don't respect ministers anymore. Go back and watch old movies from the 30s and the yeah. 40s. Pat O'Brien. Pat O'Brien walked in on a group of people with that collar on and so forth. It was like, man, the, 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 the priest is here. We better get our act together. Mm-hmm. And and today, a minister walks in and it's like, you know, this guy doesn't have any anything to say to us. We've, we've lost our, you know, respectability because we, re- we really don't have anything much to say uh, to the world at large. We're not saying it to our families. We're not saying it in the church. We're not saying it in the business community. Uh, we have a lot of work to do. And, you know, the you know, Bible talks about judgment begins with the house of God. It needs to start with us. Mm-hmm. Unk, that's really good. That's that, really that, yep, good. That's really I, we need to. That's, those are some things that we need to work out that a little is, more. Yeah. And because of the the next questions are well, okay, then how do we? You know, we need to have some massive revival, repentance in our churches, um, self government with ourselves, with our churches, because we need to restore that type of authority we've given over. That type of this is where education too belongs to the family. There's a real government there, but when we've given those responsibilities and duties to the civil magistrate. Of all that, everything is. Yeah. I mean, listen to the State of the Union was watching your uncle daddy talk to you. That's right. Right. You're gonna have this. We're gonna take care of that. We're your gonna cure gonna cancer. Get, <laughs> yeah, your car is gonna get uh, more better wheels, and you're gonna have better roads, and you're gonna have better education, and you're don't. I'm gonna cure cancer for you. And it's like, wait a second. That's my dad who's supposed to be taking care of those things for me. That's not you. That's right. And so all those things have become something that's a a, a maternal, paternal reality inside of our government that we got to get rid of and put those things back into the because it's become religious, too. And put those things back into the sphere that they're supposed to be operating on. Uncle, we need to do some more thinking and work that out. Um, Pastors need to teach us. Let me give you this info here. I got it here. Um, it is the Idaho Family Policy Center. Yeah, that's right. And they're going to have a biblical activism boot camp yep. on Saturday. Yep. Uh, and it, it is going to be at in Boise. The, well, not in Boise. It is going to be in Nampa, N A M P A, if that's how you pronounce it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'll be speaking there. Uh, 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 Senator Lori Den Hartog will be there as well. Uh, Blaine uh, Kanzadi. Kanzadi is going to be there. Uh, and jo- uh, jo- and jo- uh, Matt Sharp from Alliance Defending Freedom will be there as well. And so this is Biblical a- uh, Activism Boot Camp. Yep. Um, sign up for it. You can still get in. Uh, it needs to be RSVP so they can make pl- make plans for it. So this is going to be up in uh, Nampa, Idaho, and it's the Idaho Family Policy Center and Biblical Activism Boot Camp. And we also got you and, and Larry Elder in yeah, April, right? That's right. And uh-huh. we're going to be out in South Dakota. Um, you, I don't. I, that's going to be phenomenal. We got Uncle Gary and Larry Elder. Uh, that's going to be great, Uncle. I'm looking forward to that. Um, also, I want to say we have 
two master classes from Uncle Gary inside the club portal. One That's is right. directly on the topic of uh, eschatology. Well, Uncle Gary, I think it's like 12 lessons. You go through and you work through God exe- exegetically es- eschatology and oh, yeah. really uprooting yeah. and getting. That was one of the most uh, transformable, transformable things for me was once I was able to get my eschatology right, I felt like I fit better in the way the world was supposed yeah. to run and flow. And the other thing is God and government. So if you don't have so both in the club portal, yeah. yeah if you want to get what we just talked about in way more detail, inside the club portal, sign up crosspolitik.com, become a Fight Laugh Feast Club member, and you get just a boatload of content, but particularly yeah. those two things God and government and eschatology from Uncle Gary, those are two phenomenal pieces. So I sent you a link uh, to the boot camp that you could, could you post? Oh, yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll post that in the comments while we're still here. Yeah. Uh, is there anything else you. that you want to say before we go? No, I just want to let everyone know that, uh, uh, you know, Gary North died a couple of, of, of weeks ago, and he's been a mentor to a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, Gary and I have been together uh, every four or five weeks and talk and do podcasts. He lived right down the road from me. Wow. And Gary always asked about, you know, will this continue, Gary? All this work that we've done, will this continue? And I keep reminding, I kept reminding him about your organization and what Jeff Durbin and those guys are doing and Alliance Defending Freedom there's so much stuff going on today that did not exist, you know, when, when I was coming up and, uh, and I was trying to offer this as an encouragement to Gary because Gary's put so much of his, his well, his entire life into this. And yeah. there's just a lot of great things going on. And unfortunately a lot of people don't hear the good news yeah. of what is, of what is happening with, you know, with what cross politic is doing and with what apologia are, are, is, yeah. is doing yeah. and so many other ministries across Across the world, I, I, I'm getting stuff from all over all over the world now. People wanting this material, yeah. Um, and uh, I just, you know, it's it's it is good news, uh, and it's yeah, it's right. it's we, we just need we just need more of it and more people to under to to, to know about it. Hey, Unc, um, what are some books that people can get from you right now? The most recent, I I, I always recommend Myth Lies and Half Truths because right. Myth Lies and Half Truths goes through. All of the arguments that people use trying to to defend dispensationalism, and it's not always like the exegetical work that they do that you find. It's it's always the arguments like Jesus said his his uh, kingdom is not of this world. Now that's one of the big ones, right? And I was like, well, how do you deal yeah. with that? Like, what is going on? And then you start realizing as you go through myth, lies, and half truths, how much people are twisting scripture to to make it say one thing that it's not trying to say at all. And so I, that's one of the books I can think of is Myth, Lies, and Half-Truths at AmericanVision.org. Yeah, myth, yeah. Uh, myth, Lies, and Half-Truths. That's really what I'm going to be talking about at the boot camp on that particular topic. Uh, the, um, the, the other, of course, God and government, if you yeah. want, oh, you want yeah. a course for your, for your kids on what the Bible says about government and that government isn't synonymous with politics, that's, that's the book to get. Uh, Last Day's Madness on Eschatology, Wars and Rumors of Wars, Is Jesus Coming Soon?, my book, The Gog and Magog uh, End Time Alliance, because of all of this stuff, is now out of print, but it's back back on press. If you really want to know what Ezekiel 38 and 39 is all about and will inoculate you against some of this craziness, then you can get that, that book as well. And you can just get it. You can see down below where my name is, AmericanVision.org. You've got um, newsletters, uh, that we, I mean, uh, articles I write. Uh, we actually have a, a podcast that we do for, for, for you guys. That's right, on the network. We do one of those a week. Uh, Heavy lifting with Uncle Gary. Yeah, we do three three podcasts, two articles at AmericanVision.org. Lots of lots of material, free 
lots of free material as well, lots of video material, audio, et cetera, that uh, you have a question, I always say, look, if you have a question, you can, you can email me at support at AmericanVision.org, and I'll, I'll do my best to, to answer it. Uh, there was That's a, great. Okay, we're done, but I, I just got to say this in passing. I can't remember. I was listening to a podcast that you did with Gary North, and I found this revival. You guys talked about the revival movement or revival something where you got all these evangelicals together and they wrote out um, principles of how they looked at the oh, yeah. Well, yeah. coalition know, on revival, coalition on revival, coalition on revival. All the documents I think are up online. They still this are. This was something in the 1980s that we met. I think the first time we met was in Dallas, Dallas, Texas, um, and trying to get all of these, uh, uh, all of these, um, you know, Christian leaders together, together, and come up with a whole series of affirmations and denials on all of these different worldview topics. And it was led by Jay Grimstead. And Jay was the one who put all of this together. He brought all these, you know, we had the dispensationalists were there. RC Everybody. Sproul, right. Geisler, Tim LaHaye, Rush Dooney was there. I was there, Gary North. Yeah. Uh, it kind of blew up at the end because the, the dispensationalists and the theonomists, uh, you know, were, went head to head and didn't like a lot of the stuff Rush Dooney was saying. But what came out of this was the, these documents on the Coalition on Revival on Affirmations and Denials. Look, all of the materials out there. But what you need to do now is, is put, put legs to it all and then learn how to do this thing and start applying it. It's the materials there. And Uncle, what I wanted to say about this is that when I found this, this is, I found this right at kind of the, the first year of COVID. I realized that back then, had we adopted these principles, regardless of your denomination, what it lays out about the responsibility and role of the government and the role of the family and education and economics, these were phenomenal, Unc. If we would have adopted yeah. these principles in the 90s, uh, and we would have been in a completely different place theologically. Yeah. We would have, yeah. It, it would have been like it was Josiah finding the law. Yes. You know, buried all yeah. this time. It's, yeah. it's, always, it's always been there. Yep. Uh, and it's just, let me just tell you, pastors are afraid of this stuff. They are afraid of it because it calls on people to be responsible, especially when you start talking about, you know, the modern, the modern day church, which for many people is public, public school is public schools. Um, and, uh, you know, it's going to take some sacrifice people in Ukraine right now, you know, they're, they're being displaced, their places are being bombed and so forth. And they're trying to stand strong. All we have to do is just take our kids out of the government schools and we take control of their education. It's going to cost you some money. Sure it will. Uh, it's costing you money you know, now. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh-huh. You go to the gas pump, you just got taxed $2 <laughs> on every gallon of gasoline yeah, for voting. Right. For, for, uh, uh, what's, his, what's his name? Um, I'm, 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 I'm forgetting. Uh, Joe Biden. <laughs> so uh, there, there you go. Where, where are all these people who say they voted for Joe Biden? We don't hear a peep out of them. Yeah, where's the eighty million? I can't I, find them anymore. This is they're having buyers remorse. Remorse, yeah, yeah. buyers remorse. So yeah. that's and I, I talked to you all day. I'm gonna let you go because uh, Reformation.net is. Uh, I, I people need to go there. Doctor so, Jay Grimstead and, and the Coalition go, on Revival. You have to go check out those affirmations really and denials of because of I when I found that from listening to your podcast when you were talking to yeah. Gary North, I realized. And this is so important. I have jumped into the middle of a historical um, narrative, and I don't even know what was going on before I got here. 
You know what I mean? Um, yeah. I, I jumped in yeah. the middle of something yeah. thinking yeah. that I know something and I don't know nothing. I got here and there's been these and, guys and, and thinking new work needs think, to be think, laid yeah, down, right. new tracks or, need you to be know, laid down. If only I did this. When when watching yeah. you guys, you guys have gone through and laid such a great foundation. And if we can just dust this thing off and and say, oh, okay, and repent, man, we would. This is, and I think it's. I don't think it's that pastors are necessarily afraid of responsibility. Although I think that's part of it. When you. All of a sudden, the Southern Baptists are having a problem because the, for the first time that I can think of, they are not fighting something that's an internal fight anymore. They are having to create and work through external situations that are applying to them now in the sense that laws in government are starting to affect them and where they're at. And, and before, it's, it's okay to have these battles when it's just inside your little seminary. But when your government and when the civil magistrate starts imposing on you, even John MacArthur had to repent. Yeah. Hey, John, you ought to give John MacArthur lots of credit. I, I mean, do. Yeah. He, he stood up, uh, and he, I don't. He, some people say he's not a dispensationalist, but he has an end time view. He is. That's pretty much opposite of, 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 of what I believe and what R.C. Sproul believed, and they were they were good friends. Yeah. But he he stood up, uh, and uh, it took a, a, a big risk. And I, his, I think his position on this has, has changed uh, over, over the years, and uh, more and more churches would, would do the same. I don't think churches are afraid so much of teaching this stuff and not and on the responsibility side. I think they're afraid because there are a lot of people in their church who don't hold to the same values that they do because they've never been challenged on them, and they're afraid of losing a portion of their congregation because— I bet you there's a good percentage of people in a lot of these churches out there who voted for Joe Biden. And you start talking about these policies that are Democrat policies, you're going to find a lot of people ended up losing, uh, leaving the church. And with churches with more, still with mortgages, it it's becomes costly. See, I, 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 mm-hmm. I think it's, I, you might be right. Here's what I really think it is. When you start thinking like this and, and you start having this type of perspective, your whole theology has to shift. Agreed. Your whole the and the only thing I haven't done, I've, I've given big, big kudos to John MacArthur and Phil Johnson, those guys over there. I salute those guys are my father, bro. I appreciate them all yeah. day. Yep. But it's not they've created themselves though now a glass house that's not too hard to throw a pebble and crush. Because if it's true that the civil magistrate doesn't have any authority over them, and when they should have service. They've opened up a can of worms on then what does the civil magistrate have authority over? Yes, what does right. the church have authority it's called over? called theonomy. And what should the civil <laughs> – because you can't, say, you can't say what the civil magistrate can't do without yeah. saying what he can do. Right. So now yeah. they have to come up with a new the- theonomic law in order for them to be able to hold their argument consistently. And so the problem is when you start acting that way and it's and see, for the first time, Unc, it wasn't just a theory. It wasn't just us having a conversation, an argument back and right. forth. The civil magistrates start touching a world. And so now you have to come up with a worldview to supply this. And so it's that if they actually start living this way before the civil magistrate comes in, the fear is, oh, my goodness. I'm going to have to readjust and recalibrate my whole theological worldview. Everything has to change from my eschatology to my understanding of 
anthropology and, and Genesis, all that stuff has to shift because the world that they're living in right now doesn't doesn't comport in a lot of ways to the reality that we're in. And it's, so it's easy to remain I, an atheist think, until I steal your fries. I think that they yeah, I think that, that they are actually having to live um that they're, they're forced put, to have a standard. They're forced to be pushed yeah. and to say, well, That's now right. I got it. This is what the uh, objective standard. Uncle, this is this is what you and Gary North and Rush Dooney were pushing for years. Yeah, decades. Show That's, me. Why I wrote, yeah. That's why I wrote God and Government. God and Government is lays out in 30 chapters, covers economics and education, how to care for the poor, taxation, the whole the whole bit, the various jurisdictions yep. that, that are out there, separation between church and state constitutionally and biblically. That's why I wrote it. That was 40 years ago. I wrote, I, yep. I, I, yep. I wrote it. Wow. And it, it's applicable today. There's not, the principles haven't changed. Only the people and you know, the, the circumstances have, have changed, but the principles are the same. Well, um, the Christians, yeah. Christians adopted these essential principles. You would see a major shift politically because the, the really Joe Kikasola wrote a, uh, gave this talk a number of years ago called uh, uh, "Bottom Upism versus Top Downism." Mm. You're never going to change the top until the bottom changes, and you get what you vote for. So, what we have at the top is because the majority of people voted for what's at the top. Yeah. So, you're going to want to change the top. You still have to do. You still got to go out there and do that in bits and pieces. But ultimately, it's going. What's going to happen is. You've got to change the bottom, and that that means us. Yep. Appreciate you, Unc. That's so good. Grateful for you. We'll yep. talk soon. All right. Thanks. Bye. Thanks again. I appreciate talking to you guys.